Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this February 2018 episode is What's New in Genetic Genealogy? We will start over at the Genealogy Insider blog, where editor Diane Haddad will give us the scoop on what's new and updated over at MyHeritageDNA. And then we'll jump right into our top tips segment to discuss Ancestry's DNA migrations tool with your DNA guide, Diane Southard. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, we're going to give you a rundown on the top DNA testing sites with author David Frixell. In the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Family Tree University instructor Carrie Scott's going to be here to share tips from her advanced genetic genealogy course. And then we'll wrap things up at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan to talk about the resource that she turns to for help with DNA. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. Well, to kick us off on this episode all about DNA and your family history, let's t- check in at the uh, Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hey, how are you? Doing good. And I see that DNA is doing good. I mean, it's there's always something new, it seems like. What's the latest news yeah. that you've been talking about on the blog? It does seem like things happen so fast, it's hard to keep up. And my colleague here, um, Ashley, has written on our blog about the latest developments at MyHeritage and their DNA testing services. They've had some exciting things going on. I guess the most exciting is the chromosome browser, which they've kind of been promising ever since they launched their test. And now it's here. Right. And that's, and I know that there's lots of different opinions on how valuable it is, but it's just really cool to have a new tool and to hopefully see it evolve. Yeah, it is kind of an advanced tool that um, people need some kind of good understanding of DNA testing and what it can do in order to use it. I think essentially it shows you um, which pieces of DNA you share with different people. So you can use that with triangulation and your shared matches to identify what part of DNA came from what branch of the family. So that would help you see um, how you're related to someone who shares that particular part of DNA with you. Right. And and something else they did right, right around the same time was uh, Ashley has here in the post, they improved their DNA matching. And, you know, my heritage was a little bit later to the game mm-hmm. than some of the other testing companies. So it probably isn't a big surprise that they have gone through some evolutions of improving that matching system. Yeah, they've been doing a lot of um, testing and analysis and refining behind the scenes. And there's a, their blog post is linked from ours. And so they really, in that blog post, go into the nitty gritty details. So you can look at all that. And the bottom line is that people are getting higher quality matches. They're getting more matches, um, at lower levels, and then it's indicated if it's a, a what they'll call a low confidence match, which has a higher um, chance of being a false match. But those high quality matches are going to be more useful for people. They've also refined their phasing to fix some errors that they had more of than you know comparatively to other testing companies, and. Um, 
yeah, so so in matches will be better and more useful to people, I think is it's the bottom line. Right, exactly. And you can get the full update at the post. It's called My Heritage Releases Major Updates and Improvements. And this is January of 2018. I'm sure we'll hear more throughout the year, but uh, thanks so much for giving us the update on DNA. You're welcome. top tips segment today, we're going to learn about how Ancestry's new migrations tool can reveal research clues and it can help you hopefully put your ancestors in their place. And here's the author of a new article on that subject, Diane Southard. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Hey, we, we knew we had to turn to you. If we're going to be talking DNA. And of course, since genealogy in large part just centers all around locations, it sounds like this migrations tool could be pretty intriguing. Tell us more about this. Is this brand new? Is this an evolution in one of the tools that they're offering? Right. So it is an evolution, I would say, though I would still consider it brand new. Uh, Ancestry released their, originally they called them genetic communities uh, last spring, so spring of 2017. And um, it's been hot ever since, I would say. Uh, As you said, we're so focused on figuring out location and our DNA is able to tell us Uh, where we're from. But up until this point, really, the where's were more involved in the when's. So when were you somewhere? So a lot of the uh, results that we get from our ancestral DNA testing companies are telling us that we were somewhere a very, very, very long time ago. Uh, That's what the percentages that we get from our companies. You're 22% Italian. Well, that doesn't mean that you were there today or even that your ancestor was there, it it means likely you might find someone from there sometime. And it's really vague, and um, which, of course, isn't actually very helpful in our family history. But Ancestry's really improved on that idea by producing this migrations tool. Uh, That's what they call it now, migrations. So when you log into your Ancestry account and you click on the account, and it's called actually My Story now, and when you click on that, uh, you actually get two kinds of place information. You get your what they call your regional estimates, which tell us about those deep ancestral connections. They consider these regions to be part of your family history thousands of years ago. So that you'll, that hasn't changed. You'll see 22% Italian still. You'll see 33% British and Irish. And that is still helpful to some people. If, if you're totally clueless about your background, that is still exciting and interesting information. But they've layered that now with these migrations, they call them. And the migrations are meant to help us see where our ancestors were hundreds of years ago, right in that genealogical sweet spot that we're all trying to figure out between 1750 and 1900. And that's where we're really struggling for uh, the records, right? I mean, the, the closer to us we come, the the more plentiful the records are, and it gets kind of thin as you move back in time. How in the world do they, and, and I don't know if this is like uh, too complicated of a question, but I mean, I'm curious, how, how do you identify that this piece of d- DNA is 
somehow connected with a time frame. Is this based on all of the testing that people are, there's so many people testing. Are they pooling people together to figure this out? Is it, is it somehow tied to the trees that are already on Ancestry? Lisa, I love your scientific mind. <laughs> you, you really do have a scientific mind. You ask great questions because that's exactly the question you should be asking oh, is well, good. how, how should they do that? How are they doing this? Yeah. Right. Um, and, and it really comes down to the, the strength of the database. There is so much power mm. in numbers. So Ancestry has now tested over 7 million people. And if you have ticked that little box and agreed to be part of research at Ancestry, then you are helping to build these migrations. It's your DNA and your pedigree chart that are helping to make these connections. So when we're talking about regions, those deep ancestral connections, Ancestry has a reference population They've developed a profile, a DNA profile for what it looks like to be Italian, and they're comparing you to this profile. That's, that's those regional estimates. The migration estimates don't work that way. The migration estimates are based on the connectivity of people. How connected are you to other people in the database? So what they've done is with those people who've said, yeah, I want to be a part of this research, they've created these networks, these vast networks of millions of people. And they're looking at how these people are connected to each other. And they use a series. It's like a layered mathematical fantastical <laughs> equation <laughs> and they find out who is the most connected to each other. So it's like you start out with this huge beach ball and then those are all the people that are connected. And from the beach ball, you scale down maybe to the small volleyball size and those people are connected. So maybe within the beach ball, you've got two volleyballs. And then from there, you take the volleyball down and you scale it down into four softballs. And from the softball, you can go down to three golf balls and so on. And so it's layer by layer, group by group, they're able to pull out these migrations. Until now, they have 150 migration groups. And I'm sure that's going to increase in the near future. Oh, yeah. It really shows you the power of the data. I mean, yes. and, the, and the power of participation. I, I think as I hear you talk about this, I think, wow, this could really be an interesting lure for um, particularly all those folks who were not genealogists. They just went and got their DNA tested. And they're like, okay, well, I guess that's all there is. But of course, there isn't. They could start building a tree. They could start con and they could really contribute this amazing global look at history and Diane, what I love about your article is that you do exactly what you just did for us in audio form. In visual form, you kind of lay this out in a really easy to understand way. I love these graphics in this article. Thank you. It is all about uh, shopping, right? What items can you get at what store? Exactly. And, <laughs> and that's what her chart is called, How Migrations Are Created. If, if this sounds like something that intrigues you, you're going to want to really comb through this article and check out that whole kind of visual chart. It's fantastic. The article is called Migration Revelations. And as you can imagine, we're just just tiny scratching the surface here on the show, but uh, it's definitely a fascinating read. Anything else that you really feel like people should hear right now so that they make the most of this? 
Well, I think number one is that a lot of us as genealogists, we look at these migrations and we see that we're, we've been put in this, um, you know, Western Ohio migration. And we're like, well, yeah, I know that my ancestors are from Western Ohio. And we kind of dismiss it. But it's so important to recognize that Ancestry did not look at your pedigree chart to place you in that group. They did not see that your ancestors are from Western Ohio. That is all based on just your DNA. Your genetics are tying you to that place. And that is really exciting. It's amazing. Well, check it out. It's in the January, February 2018 issue of Family Tree Magazine. Ah, Diane, thank you so much for helping take uh, what can seem like a complicated topic and really help us feel like we can jump into. Thank you. Of course, you're welcome. Thank you. This episode's 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment. Let's dig into some of the DNA websites that are featured in the list. And we will do that with the author of the list, David Frixell. Hi, Dave. Hello. Good to be here as usual. Hey, this um, whole episode has been kind of devoted to DNA. And uh, I know there's a kind of a growing list of companies and websites that are catering to the genetic genealogy market. Uh, It's certainly been expanding quite a bit. Give us a rundown of who some of the top players are, and then I'd love to talk a little bit about some of these unique ones that you found and put on the list. It certainly is. It's just, you know, it's the next big thing in uh, genealogy and, uh, you know, really exploding. And Family Tree Magazine has done a lot of uh, coverage of all the, you know, changes on it. People are trying to, you know, keep up. Um, And really the, the four big players, I think, uh, in the field that you, you know, people have probably heard of, and they're not just doing some in some cases not just for genealogy, but also for uh, you know medical reasons, for example, uh, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, but 23andMe, 23 as in chromosomes, uh, Family Tree DNA, which obviously is more focused on genealogical type things, and then two uh, companies that their their websites made our list, although not only for the uh, genetic aspects of it, and that's, of course, Ancestry, which makes the list because it has just like a bazillion different things, um, but also has Ancestry DNA, and that really seems to have, uh, you know, become a growing part of their business. If you see their, you know, their TV ads now, uh, you know, they have people on there saying, you know, I thought I was Scottish, and I bought my kilts, and then I found out, you know, we were German, that sort of thing. (laughs) um, And then the other one is um, the MyHeritage site. And uh, that, you know, similarly, they have you know, family trees and uh, they have research tools um, and they keep buying other things. They, they have uh, World Vital Records now and now they're offering, they're one of the really major players in the whole DNA, uh, you know, genetic genealogy field. So it's interesting to see how these, the, some of the people are moving in both directions, you know, they, uh, some of the people are coming at it from the genetics end, like 23andMe, and then you have others, there are companies that really have been founded to, uh, you know, offer genealogical data, and now they're tapping into this whole new thing. So, you know, on Ancestry, you can go on and find your ancestors in the census, and then you can go get your, you know, DNA um, tested. So they're doing a little bit of, of everything. I guess it just shows how integrated the whole DNA thing has become into, you know, genealogy. 
Yeah, it sure has. And and each one of those big four that you mentioned have kind of different tests. You know, you were talking about ancestry DNA. Of course, that's only the autosomal test, which is right. um, kind of covers the whole background. My heritage is doing the same. But of course, over at Family Tree DNA, you can still get the mitochondrial test with your maternal line. You can get the Y DNA test with your paternal line. Um, but you have mentioned two unique genetic genealogy websites on the list that maybe people listening, particularly people new to genetic genealogy, haven't heard of. Tell us about what those two are. Right. And these really made it under our category of tech tools um, because they, uh, once you're either trying to get into genetic genealogy or you've done it and now you're, it's like, what do I do with the results? Um, these are sites that might be helpful. And one of them, not surprisingly, is the International Society of Genetic Genealogy, and they have a wiki. Um, so there you can go there to learn about genetic genealogy technology. So, for example, if you're thinking, you know, should I give this a try? How might it help me? Um, you know, which test should I use? Um, here, you know, you've got the experts. It was founded in 2005 um, by DNA Project administrators, so they don't have any particular, you know, commercial axe to grind. Um, so you can get sort of a crash course, if you will, on genetic genealogy and DNA and what it might, uh, you know, mean for you um, by going to uh, to the wiki. Exactly. And then the other one I noticed on the list is GEDmatch, and that's kind of a, a third-party tool that lets you kind of take your results a little farther, right? Yes, and it's kind of neat. You know, you can basically it's for matching your results with other people, and you know, that's what really makes, as I understand it, you know, the DNA testing valuable. It's nice to you know have yours and know that you're really from you know G- Germany, not Scotland or whatever. But matching it is really the key, and because you can use data from Ancestry DNA, 23andMe, um, or Family Tree DNA, it, you can um, use the site to match with other uh, people who have had. Tests and so you're not limited to just the one site, which I think is probably uh, you know a good thing that uh, you're able to you know really cast a much wider net there. And uh, exactly, and you're getting a much thing. bigger pool, you know, a much bigger pool of people for all kind of adding those results to all the different uh, pots, if you will. And I know we're going to have we're going to have Carrie Scott on the show here a little bit later in this episode, and uh, she's teaching a genetic genealogy course that really digs deep into GEDmatch in particular as a third-party tool. So we'll be looking forward to talking to her in just a few minutes. Um, well, this, this is great. There's always good pickings from this 101 Best Websites list. And next month, we'll talk to you about a few more, right? Great. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. In this February episode, of course, we're talking all about DNA. And um, I know a lot of you have some experience under your belt and you're looking for a little bit more. So in this Family Tree University Crash Course segment, I've invited instructor Carrie Scott to the show to talk about her new upcoming 201 course. This is kind of the next level up. Hi, Carrie. Hi. This is neat. And I know you've had this course before. Of course, you're probably in the revamping mode because things keep changing, don't they? 
They do. It's hard to keep up with DNA, so we're actually revamping. Everything's going to be new and updated for 2018, so I'm very excited about that. Oh, neat. Well, I, of course, I have questions for you, but I'd love to have you give us a quick rundown. What's going to be covered in this more intermediate level course? Well, the 201 course is focused on really digging in. It's designed for people who have already taken a test and are ready to really make something of the results. There's kind of that initial phase where you open up your results and there are thousands of matches and you have this ethnicity report that maybe makes sense or maybe not so much. Um, so I'd like you to get from that oh my gosh, what do I do phase to I am answering genealogical questions phase. I want people to come away from this course with the opportunity to really make something of these results and start adding or clarifying on their own family trees. That's terrific because I know a lot of people feel like when they first test, they, they're going to see some answers right away, and, and it isn't really that simple. You see your ethnicity right away, but <laughs> <laughs> from there, you have to do some, some digging. And I know that when a student does take their test, they get their results, they look at the pie chart, um, there's more that they can do, but it's pretty easy to get overwhelmed with all those yes. matches. <laughs> so I'd love to know, just what are some of the overarching principles that you encourage your students to keep in mind when they're dealing with all these matches? Well, one of the things I do, I, I actually work mostly on unknown parentage cases. So talk about overwhelming. You're looking at these results and you don't know who the parents are, let alone the fifth great grandparents. So I get that overwhelmed feeling. Um, what I do and what I tell other people to do is to really first take a deep breath and second, just like you did 20 years ago in genealogy, you start with what you know. If you know that your maternal side is from Minnesota and your paternal side is from Wisconsin, that gives you a starting point because you can start to look at your closest matches and you should always start with your closest matches first and look at does their tree mostly have Wisconsin people or Minnesota people? Are they mostly German or do you see a lot of Norwegians? Um, there are always little clues that you can take and make them into ways to sort people into first your maternal and paternal sides, and then from there your paternal grandmother and paternal grandfather and the same on your mom's side and so forth. So you break them into halves and then you break them into quarters and then you just keep going with that. A lot of us have trees where we know one branch really, really well. The, the very first branch I did is really well researched. I know those people by heart. I can recite their birth dates for you. And then there are other branches that are a little more neglected because I haven't done as much work with those. So you start again with the ones you know. Do you have cousins that have those surnames from your really well-known branches? Can you cross those people off the list? And then you're left with much, far fewer matches where you don't know where to put them. And it's easier to kind of wade through those and see, well, do they Again, are they from Wisconsin or Minnesota? Are they German or Norwegian? Um, there are always ways to do that, but you, you have to be really methodical about it, and you have to keep good notes. I obviously use Evernote. I know you probably use Evernote too. Um, but keeping good notes is super helpful because this does change so rapidly that something that is a complete mystery today can be a no-brainer a month from now because you may get a new match that sheds light on the whole thing. 
Exactly. I mean, it's ever changing every day. You could you know, yes. open your computer and there it is. And you talked about really focusing on those closest matches. I know we see every day, practically, matches coming in on our email, little notifications. Um, but it might be somebody who's, you know, four steps away from us. So mm-hmm. which ones do you just kind of not pay attention to at all? How far back are we or how distant are we from those people that we just don't need to really focus on? I certainly I start with the closest matches first. And when I'm working on unknown parentage cases, maybe 40 or 50 centimorgans, depending on how many matches I have to work with. If it's someone from the southern U.S. that has four pages of second to third cousins, what a luxury. I might cut it off at 100 centimorgans because that'll leave me with 30 people to work with. Um, my husband, who is an upper Midwesterner, has two second to third cousins and not that many fourth cousins. So for him, I cut it off at about 40 centimorgans. So it kind of depends on how many you have to work with. But even the more distant matches can be useful if you're looking at shared matches. In other words, I have a bunch of people who are in the 15 to 20 centimorgans range, which isn't a ton of DNA. I know we're related, Mm -hmm. but it's not a ton of DNA. But they all match on the same line where I have one cousin that's around 40. So I know I've used those people to parse out who else might be on that same line. So you, it, yeah. it kind of depends on what your what your goals are and what you're looking at. Exactly. And this is all the kind of thing that you're digging into in the class. Yes. One more thing I noticed that you might be uh, touching on chromosome mapping. And that's something we're hearing more about. Tell everybody listening what that is. Oh, this is so much fun and so exciting. You take, you you know, all of us have these 23 chromosomes and we've inherited DNA from various ancestors, but it's all mixed up on there. It would be nice if our DNA was in neat lines where this is from my mom, this is from my dad, this is from my grandma. DNA doesn't do that for you. DNA likes to mix it up and see you dance for it. (laughs) So what we do with chromosome mapping is you take the people who you know and how they're how you know how they're related and you look at where which chromosome do you match them on and exactly where on that chromosome and then you map that you put that for example I I have a lot of people who are on one branch of my Norwegian father's family on chromosome 9 so my chromosome 9 map looks really cool because I know which part is from Grandpa Oli because I have a bunch of matches who are also descended from Grandpa Oli and here's some people who from the other side Grandma Lena and they are all descended from Grandma Lena and they match me on this part of chromosome 9 so you can actually build out where on each chromosome you got DNA from each of your ancestors it takes some time and effort and it's it's definitely a marathon and not a sprint but boy, is it cool to be able to see, you know, my grandpa Oli was born in 1802. It's really cool to see two, more than 200 years later what he's passed on to me and exactly where on what chromosome. Oh, how interesting. This is all the kind of thing that you that you dig into, I know, and this is coming up soon, isn't it? So this is the, it's just a genetic genealogy course. Is there a particular title we're looking for here? This is the Genetic Genealogy 201 course. Got it. We also have a 101 course that helps you figure out which DNA test to take, what can you expect when you take it, and kind of map out your strategy for DNA testing. 
Ah, and then you'll be all ready for 201. Well, we will have a link to this course uh, that's going to be coming up here at the end of February. And it's a, it's a great time to kind of really dig in and take your DNA results to the next level. Carrie, thank you so much for uh, giving us a little more in-depth look at DNA. Thanks for having me. Well, we're just about to the end of this episode, and it's time to check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Hey, we've been talking about what's new in genetic genealogy. There's always something new, it seems like. But I imagine there probably are some people who are listening who are like, I still haven't dipped my toe in that. And even for those who have, they might realize after listening to today's episode that they might be missing some of the the fundamental things that you kind of need to have in place to get the most out of your DNA analysis over time. Do you have favorite resources that you turn to? Where did you first go to kind of learn about all this DNA stuff? Well, of course, I've kept track of uh, the developments and how it all works through Family Tree Magazine. But I have to say that my favorite resource for just understanding the basics and how to use DNA testing is our Family Tree Guide to DNA Testing and Genetic Genealogy. And I say that because we actually published this book. Like I wanted to bring this book to market for the longest time because I felt like there was such a need for it. Like I personally needed it. And so, you know, I love to be able to publish things that help me too. So yeah. yeah. And it really is a great overview of all the ways that you can leverage DNA testing to help in your genealogy, whether you're a beginner or you've taken tests already, or you've kind of done what you can with it on your own and you, you need some more ideas. This is a really, really excellent tool. Right. Because I've noticed with that book, you know, uh, Blaine you know, Bettinger is the author and he lays out the fundamentals that you need kind of like the basics of what is autosomal versus mitochondrial and what is it going to do for you? And does it make sense to upload it to various companies or can you be good to go with one company, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think the chapter on autosomal DNA testing is one that I refer to frequently just as like a gut check yeah. about what am I doing with this here? And certainly, Another favorite part of the book for me is talking about the different tools that you can use that are provided by third parties outside of the testing companies, because of course the testing companies all want to kind of keep you on the reservation. Mm-hmm. And there are ways that you can leverage these other tools to make connections and get additional information without taking a bunch of different tests. But this book is also great at helping you figure out when you do need to take multiple tests. Mm -hmm. And for different purposes too, because I know Blaine has talked about for doing it for genealogy and also specifically things like adoption cases. It's fascinating to see the different scenarios that he covers. Yes. For me, that's another thing that I refer to quite frequently is there's a chapter for analyzing complex questions with DNA and basically lays out specific scenarios and sort of case studies, if you will, of how you can use DNA to tackle a specific research problem. And to me, that real world advice and example is a great way to help my mind think about how I can apply it in my own research. 
It's one of those books you just kind of have by your desk all the time. It's The Family Tree Guide to DNA Testing and Genetic Genealogy by Blaine T. Bettinger. It's a terrific go-to source, and I like the fact that it it does lay the foundation, but then, like you said, it takes you into those third-party tools and ways to, to go a little more advanced make sure you're kind of getting the most out of it. And as we've discovered today, it's an ever-evolving discipline, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's hard to keep up. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for helping all of us keep up through uh, Family Tree Magazine and all the books that you guys have. And I will look forward to talking to you next month. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this February 2018 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. And here are a couple of action items for you until we get together again next month. First, be sure to check out Diane Southard's article. It's called Migration Revelations. It is terrific. It's in the January, February 2018 issue of Family Tree Magazine. And you can also hear more from Diane on my Genealogy Gems podcast each month. And then head to the podcast show notes for this episode, familytreemagazine.com slash podcasts, where you'll find information and links for everything else that we covered, including that Genetic Genealogy 201 course over at Family Tree University, which starts up at the end of this month. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and we have an app for that. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.